Father, we thank you for your word. God, I, it's my desire, and I know it's your desire, God, to speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit in ways that we not, may not even be aware we need to be spoken to about. God, I pray you do that in my heart. Would you show me things, God, that you want Mark to be aware of? Would you teach me today, God? Would you teach my brothers and sisters? Would you teach those who are here that aren't brothers and sisters in you yet, but are, God, I would pray, looking for truth. And I thank you for what your word gives us, because it is truth. I pray, God, that these thoughts that you've been running through my head, new thoughts, old thoughts, God, would come across well. Not eloquently, possibly, God, but heard. God, would you help us to hear? You can take the worst of presentations, God, and do some powerful truth work. I pray you'd just do that today in our hearts. We pray that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Our hope, our trust, our living God. Amen. I'm going to read um, a decent bit of, from Daniel here to kind of set the stage for this today. Uh, beginning in the very beginning of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and there are no notes on the wall, and I apologize for that. That's my bad. That's laziness on my part. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought vessels into the treasury of gold. Then the king told Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel. This is where it gets interesting. Including some of the royal family of the nobles, youths in whom there was no impairment, who were good-looking. That's a fascinating word, isn't it? Who were good-looking. What's that look like? Suitable for instruction in every kind of expertise, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability to serve the king's court. And he ordered Ashpenaz to, to teach them the literature and language of the, Chalde the Chaldeans. Verse 5, the king was also allotted for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and ordered that they be educated for three years at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander in verse 7 of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. This is our Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 8, and Daniel made up his mind. Underline that. We'll come back and see that. But Daniel made up his mind. That he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion inside of the commander of the officials. I think there's a connection there to a made-up mind. I'm just going to, I'm going to go way ahead of myself. I don't care. This is not a suspense novel. This is just truth. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has allotted your food and your drink. For 
Why should he see your faces looking gaunt in comparison to the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king? <laughs> this was like some pretty heavy pressure on a dietitian, yes? It's like, you know, you better, look, you better gain weight or look right or whatever because I'm going to get killed if you don't. A little bit of pressure, amazing amount of pressure, incredible amount of pressure. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, verse 12, please put your servants, and I underline your servants. This is not a, just a Daniel story we see here. It's not just Daniel who had made up his mind, but these three young men had made up their minds with Daniel. Please put your servants to the test for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined. And I'm going to just kind of skip along. Uh, you see all these, uh, your servants, them, them, their appearance. God gave them, verse 17, them knowledge and intelligence and every kind of literature and expertise. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. That was one little peculiar thing that Daniel had the ability to do. Then at the end of the days, verse 18, which the king specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them. And out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of expertise and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the soothsayer, priests, and conjurers who were in all the realm. God is at work. In reading these verses from Daniel 1, I simply want to set the stage for what will be so critical in what I would call the encounter. If ever a title of this message, it's the encounter. That's what I told Bryce. The encounter. And I want to challenge us to be thinking in terms of our own world and where we're living. We're going to have encounters. Very similar in meaning and content to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. The thing that we need to, I think the stage being set for us to understand is that they were men of God. They were men of God. And that gets in my face and forces me to ask the question, am I where they were? Am I, am I living that life? I have a made-up mind. We'll come back to that. At the end of the day, we have been given by God's sovereignty the freedom to choose our way, our way, or His. Jesus said it this way. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. Now that enter, it's assumed and that we have the opportunity to make a choice. He's not going to force us through the narrow gate. He enters through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted. The American standard is translated there, which means hard-pressed. Realize that if you haven't already, that the gate is narrow and the way is hard-pressed that leads to life. The old idea that it's a, it's a cakewalk, it's a crutch, Christianity thing, you know, that's just a crutch. It's hard-pressed when we're truly following Christ. That leads to life, and there are few, he says, who find it. Joshua's challenge to Israel was choose for yourselves 
whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He didn't say we'll try. He says we will serve the Lord. Because as soon as we say try, we've opened the door to what? Failure. Yeah, well, uh, I tried. Listen, to say that it matters and will matter more and more what degree of, of God image and God's character that you and I possess as the prophetic timeline continues to move along is, is a magnanimous, can I kind of say that, magnanimous? I'll make it up if I can't anyway. I'll call it that. Understatement. It matters. And it's going to matter more and more how much like Christ we are as the days move along. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled faces. This is fascinating. I just get so amazed when I think of how gracious God is and how good He is. For, but, but we all who are in Christ, if you're here and you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, but we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at what? The glory of God. That's just stunning to me that we are to be in a place where when we look in the mirror we are seeing a reflection not of Mark necessarily but of the glory of God it's an incredible message to us about what Christ really wants to be about in our lives because I look in the mirror and I don't know I see that very much at all But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I often said, He's going to change us. If, if, if your life has not changed since you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, nothing's changed. Your desires haven't changed. Sin hasn't changed. Your thought, process haven't cha thought process, processes haven't changed. He's going to transform you. Something, something's missing. Revisit that. Asa, I want to pull Asa in as an illustration. One of the kings of Judah made the grave mistake of, of misplacing his trust and reliance upon God with trust in another king. God sends his Hanani, the seer, to teach us. He's going to teach us this morning as he taught Asa something about God himself that we need to bring along with us in this backpack uh, we need to carry in life's journey. Hanani tells Asa, he says, were not the Ethiopians, get this, and the Lubim, an immense army, this tremendous army of Ethiopians and Lubim, Lubim, that's L-U-B-I-M, I know you don't have your Bibles turned there, an immense army with, with very many chariots and horsemen. This is the army that was coming against you, Asa. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he handed them over to you. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may, ready for this, strongly support those whose heart is completely his. This is from 2 Chronicles. If you're a note taker, 2 Chronicles 16, 8 and 9. Asa, because you relied at that time, because you relied on the Lord, he handed them over to you, these tremendous armies, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may... I need this. I know you do too. 
to strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Implied in this verse, specifically in the phrase whose heart is completely his, is the truth that our hearts can be divided. True? If it's, it's the completely his heart that God is looking for, which tells me my heart can be divided. I can have different loyalties. But we must be certain that we understand here that degrees or percentages do not catch God's eye. He isn't looking for 60-40 hearts or 70-30 or 90-10. It's just 100%. He is roaming in search of a heart. And it's in the singular, if you look at this passage when you're reading that sometime in Daniel. He's looking for those who have a heart that is completely, 100% his. That causes me, and it would be very, it's natural for us to think at this point, I don't have a chance. I don't have a chance at being strongly supported by God. Because I know me. I know my wandering thoughts and I know my behavior at times and and they don't reflect a heart that's completely his. Straight up. I think probably everybody can raise your hands with me because I'm feeling pretty beat down right now. No, I'm not. Because God is, we'll get there in a minute. I'm never 100%. I don't think based on my behavior and based on my thoughts from time at times, I want you to pay close attention here. Please pick up this morning on this ginormous, I don't know if that's a word or not either, unmeasurable boulder that God has placed before us in this world, but which we have managed to reduce to just a little speck. On this flat surface of humanity. What we have made hardly visible and hence it's seldom seen. But with God it's this ginormous, unmeasurable boulder. It is, in fact, one of the two qualities of God. This is going to come back around to Daniel. You just hang on. It is, in fact, one of the two qualities that God the Father desired. And this is is always, this verse is one of those that just comes back to me and comes back to me and comes back to me. That this is one of the two qualities that God the Father desired above all other qualities that He possesses that we should see and recognize in His Son, Jesus Christ, upon His entrance to this flat surface of humanity. It says, and the Word became flesh. (laughs) God came down to us and He dwelt among us. He made His home with us. And we saw His glory, John says. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And here's where the God, the Father, the two things that God, and this one of these we're going to land on heavily, but two things God said, Jesus, I want want everybody in the world on this surface of humanity 
to see in me about my character as God the Father is this. He was full of grace. In what class? Truth. Grace and truth. Grace is this ginormous, unmeasurable boulder that God dropped on this planet. (laughs) So that we would see that when I can't be 100% in my thoughts and my actions, that He forgives and He sees a heart that wants to be perfect. That's the change that He brings about in us. As long as we're living here, and we've got the sin nature, and I'm so far ahead of my notes, it's not even funny. And we've got the sin nature still living within us, and it's still competing with us. We're not going to be 100% in our behavior, but it doesn't stop our hearts from wanting to be. That's grace at work in our lives. Grace is receiving that which we don't deserve and absolutely cannot earn. We cannot earn it. If you look further down in John 1, it gets even more fantastic. Not only did the Word become flesh and dwell among us and we saw His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of, full of, full of grace and truth. Best illustration I can give you from God's word, and I'm just going to be very quick here. This is not in my notes. Is this adulterous woman caught in sin? I've shared this so many times. Maybe you're new, and this will be new to you. This adulterous woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. We could always say, "Where was the man at?" Because you know, hello. But yeah, here she is, humiliated, disgraced, on the verge of being stoned, and then there's this ginormous, unmeasurable man of grace present. Holy God. God with skin. The same holy God that came... Holy. And he's looking at this adulterous woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. After he wrote in the sand and they all left, oldest to youngest, wisest to dumbest. And he said, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. He said, no one condemns you. And you ready for this? Surely, holy Jesus wouldn't say, and neither do I, to someone in sin. But I think that's what he says. No one condemns you, and neither do I. Grace lived out. And then what does he tell her? Class, truth. He says, Go and sin no more. He lived out grace and truth. And we can see it on this playing field of humanity. Verse 17 says, For the law, as we said, saw that, now a little further down in John 1, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Wonderful when you look up the Greek word for realized. And I'm going to read to you the definition from the Greek, to begin to be. Think about how fascinating that is. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came to be through Jesus Christ. To begin to be, to come into existence. First, recognize and understand that we're not perfect in following Christ. This is not an excuse. This is not an excuse slip. Okay. You then, oh, well, good. We're not, you know, it's okay now because I've been given permission. There's no permission. Trust me, there's no permission to sin from God's perspective ever. Recognize that you're not perfect and you're following Christ. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 7. For I do not understand what, I, what I'm doing. This is Paul, the apostle, speaking. I don't understand what I'm doing. For I, I'm not practicing what I want to do, but the very thing I hate. For I know that good does not dwell in me, Paul says, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing is not good. Is, the doing good is not. For the good I, that I want... I, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. This conflict of the sin nature and the spirit of God within us. Paul cries out later, wretched man that I am. And I could yell that at you because he uses an exclamation point. He's just saying this so strongly and with such passion. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> as long as we live the battle between the sin nature and the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, as true believers, as true followers of Christ, there's going to be this raging war. But what does grace tell us? God, does God tell us about grace? That it is through grace that we've been what? Saved. Not because we're 100%. Not because we get it right all the time. But purely by His 100% grace. <laughs> and John goes to say, he says, for of, this is crazy. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And now John's going to tell us in verse 16 of John 1, for of His fullness, we've all received. What? And grace upon grace. The ginormous, unmeasurable boulder of grace has just been dropped. And here's one of the most beautiful aspects of grace for our lives. While we will not be 100% perfect in following Christ, we will sin from time to time. It needs to be the exception in your life and not the norm. If sin is a norm in your life, there is a major problem. We will not be 100%, but we want to be, as I said earlier. God's grace. Jesus was full of grace. Of His fullness we've all received, and grace upon grace. God's grace makes it possible for us to truly desire not to sin. And here's a, a very essential element of understanding grace. And I'll give you a little, this is a little silly, I know, but it's okay. Because it works. I like what works. You ever, leave, ever lose something on the floor? 
and it just like, it's, maybe it's clear, it's translucent, it's fiber, it's something, it's a little teeny screw that you just took out of the back of a, what are those things called when you try to get electricity, you know, you're testing electricity, uh, a voltmeter, thank you. The little screw on the back that's like that big and you drop it into shag carpet or you drop not shag carpet, thank you, you'd never find it in shag carpet. <laughs> you drop shag carpet. <laughs> Can I give you a clue what you need to do? Well, smart aleck. <laughs> no, you get down like this. Oh, older's getting rougher. Take your glasses off if you need to and get your eye all the way to the ground and you will see everything on the floor. Why are you doing that, Mark? Because in order to experience grace, you've got to be humble. You have to know that when pride is present in your life and you think you're important, you think you're somebody, and you think everybody just really needs you in their life, guess what is going to be an absent reality in your life? Grace. The understanding of it. We must humble ourselves. James tells us, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Opposed is a military term. It means to stand against in a military fashion. God says, hey, you want to live in pride. You see, pride is the root of sin. It's the root of all sin. We'll do it our way. Humility is recognizing our own inability, ready, to be good, to be righteous. Our own inability to, to be holy, to live in obedience to God. We are so dependent upon God and His ginormous, unmeasurable boulder of grace, which He has shed upon us through the person and the work of Christ. To Him be the glory. To him be the praise. <laughs> to him be all honor. For in Hananiah's response to Asa, he says, for yet because you relied on the Lord, he handed them over to you. And those eyes of God that are roaming about looking to strongly support those whose heart is completely his, we must connect the heart that is completely his. The heart that truly wants to love and serve God with, we have to connect this thought with reliance upon Him. Do you realize God wants you to rely on Him? In order to rely on someone else, what do I have to do? Again, class, I have to be humble. If you read Nebuchadnezzar's story, he was a proud man. I'm not even going to get into this. Uh, that's part of the 13 pages we're not going to get to. We're talking about grace now. He was a proud man. And God had to humble him. Remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar for many years? He became like an animal, like a beast of the field. It was a merciful act of God until Nebuchadnezzar realized, you are the only God. 
You are who you say you are, and you do what you say you'll do. And he was restored. I want to pull off there, and maybe another time Bryce will ask me to speak, and we'll finish that. In this idea of grace, we need to be dispensers of grace and truth in the world around us. Because Jesus gave us uh, some truth. He says, when he was here, we would say that he was the light of the world, right? When he was leaving, remember what he told his disciples, the apostles, he told, and he tells you and I today? He says, you're the light of the world. <laughs> so on this flat plane of humanity, that very seldom experiences the grace of God or truth. We're the deliverers. We're the dispensers of true grace. As the church, we are dispensers of true grace and truth. Dare I say true truth. In the world we live in today, yes, there needs to be true truth. But before we can be dispensers of grace and truth, we've got to understand it ourselves. We've got to understand it. As we said a moment ago, let it really sink in. Without him, we're not getting anywhere. We're not changing. We're not into a relationship with him to even start. This coming to church business, do something else. Find something else to do because it's not really working. It will not work apart from grace and the understanding of what God has done for you and for me. And then secondly, not only must we understand it, but we are to be full of grace and truth. The world has seen so much, and certain segments of our society have seen such terrible examples of the the grace and truth of Christ coming out of the doors of churches and from the pulpits rather than the grace and truth of Christ. A holy God that would say, no one condemns you, and neither do I. Yet sharing truth at the same time cannot separate those two. We're to speak the truth in what fashion, folks? Love and with grace. Doesn't life have a way of beating us into the ground? Let's get real with this. Sometimes life just it kind of reeks, doesn't it? And I don't mean that lightly. I mean, it's hard. With disease and death and financial woes, and you can just, we can just go down the list, and I know you could just start throwing them out because we deal with them. There's work stuff. There's family stuff. There's children stuff. There's health stuff. There's finances. It's just the list can go on and on of life things that just bear down on us and just push us to the ground. And my fear is, is that when these things happen, when life is doing its thing, because listen, we live in a broken world. It's been broken ever since man first said to God, well, let's do it our way. All nature broke. Mankind broke. 
creation broke. The word tells us in Romans that even nature cries out for God's for Christ's return to, to set everything straight. That's a wonderful thought. But my fear is, is that when we get pushed down and the world is just doing this shove down thing on us. And I, I, some of you I know are living right there today. Our problem is, is that we start looking this way. And our, our eyes, our gaze stays this way. And we just keep looking at the circumstance and keep looking at the situation and keep looking at the people that, that are the part of the bearing down on our lives and we don't get anywhere because we're living right here on this horizontal plane. And there's little to any joy or love or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or, or, or gentleness or self-control. The fruit of the Spirit's like choked and we're shriveling up ourselves in bitterness and self-reliance and frustration and whatever ugliness that can look like. We're not living with that knowledge of grace and truth. That massive boulder that we've been talking about. And I think of the words in Colossians that Paul writes and says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Keep seeking the things above, not the things below. I will keep him in, him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Stayed on him. Stayed on me. We got to run to him. We got to say, you know, no more of this horizontal crud. Because it's never going to get better. It will not get better until we look up. And that's the beauty of humbling ourselves. It's because when I'm here, guess what? I have only one option to do is <laughs> look up. Not only will I be able to look up and see him, but now as I look out, I'm going to see with the eyes of grace and truth to the world that is broken and hurting and dying with no hope. And I can get a taste of grace and I can put it on a plate and I can share it with you. My neighbor, my coworker, a boss and watch God fill you up <laughs> with the fullness of himself full of grace and truth so that like never before we're a light that people look at and say Daniel Shadrach Meshach Abednego and Jesus in that fire he came out unsinged 
I got to share this with you. We are to be impact people. And I'm done. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. The world will be astounded. And he stood up in haste and he said to high officials, to the high officials, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of that fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. The world's going to know who we serve. Because they had already spoken to Nebuchadnezzar earlier in this message, as you're aware, and said, O king, we don't need to give you an answer. We're not going to bow down and worship and serve your gods. Not in a mean, they didn't say it in an unkind, disrespectful way, they said it in a truthful way. But even if God doesn't, we still will not worship and serve. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near and stood at the door. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors of the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the, the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was their hair or the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had they the smell of fire even Come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and he said, Listen, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. If I'm going to stay on this horizontal plane, I'm putting my trust in one thing and it's me. And it's going to break me every time. It's going to be, it'll not work. who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Pagan king makes a decree that any nation, people, or tongue that speak anything, speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish sheep inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. You understand that God wants to deliver you in this way, in a crazy way. The world needs deeply to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. In order for the world to see the grace of God through us, we will need to lower ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and yes, humble myself before my fellow man. There's a biter for you. Humble yourself. Did not Jesus humble himself before us? Yeah. He humbled himself. God humbled himself and became like the created. Humble yourself before people. So that with our dependency upon Christ, we can look out at the world with love, grace, and the truth of Christ through us. Is it possible that we are not grace emitters because we haven't fully come to understand the grace that has come our way? If you think about it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your wonderful word. Make us so hungry and so thirsty that we just can't 
we want you in your word when we wake up, God, and as we go to sleep. That our thoughts, God, are in a relationship with you that's so close and so, so absolutely in love with you. Help us to love you more. Help me to love you more. Pray for strength and courage for my brothers and sisters here this day, God, to get honest with you. To say, God, teach me about grace. You pray that prayer, God. Will you, will you pray that prayer? Teach me, God, about your grace. And I thank you for what you'll do through your word today. And we give you so much praise. All praise, God, is yours. In Jesus' name, amen.